this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the, the hidden costs of the COVID pandemic is, or one of the many costs of the COVID pandemic, is that it has led many people to skip routine medical appointments. Uh, so people may have used to go for routine checkups, perhaps to get checked to see if there was some major disease like cancer growing within them. And yet, because they were fearful of getting COVID or simply couldn't get appointments, people have not done that as much. Uh, and so, uh, and so, if you, you look, you can find some articles that talk about how um, death rates and things have, have risen for some of these treatable illnesses and treatable diseases during COVID, because things that would have normally been found have not been found. Uh, now, we know COVID is not the only reason people do not go to the doctor. Some people skip going to the doctor simply because they don't like the doctor or they think that they could never get sick or there could be nothing seriously wrong with them. Uh, well, these people, um, it turns out, sometimes are right and there is nothing seriously wrong with them. But other times, uh, something that could have been a treatable illness something that could have been a treatable disease, again, went untreated, and they die as a result. A, a few years ago, one of my, my aunts sadly died from lung cancer. Uh, by the time the doctors found the lung cancer, it was too late to do anything. Now, she was not one of those people who stubbornly refused to go to the doctor, but uh, when she started having trouble breathing, she thought she was just getting asthma later in life. Uh, her dad, my grandfather, had had the same problem. He got asthma later in life. So when she started having trouble breathing, she wasn't worried anything about it. Um, so it may not have made a difference had she gone to the doctor earlier. Uh, we just never know. But by the time she went, it was, it was too late for the doctors to do anything. They could just give her medicine to, to ease the pain and prolong life for a period of time. Uh, well, the, the point is this. Doctors can only help patients who think they are sick. Doctors can only help patients who are willing to visit the doctor. Doctors can only help patients who will follow through with their plan of treatment. The doctor cannot help the person who never visits or does not believe the doctor when the doctor tells them they do have cancer. And what is true of our physical health what is true of someone who has cancer is also true of our spiritual health. And we're going to see that in our, in our verses today in the sermon. It is only those who admit that they are spiritually sick who can find spiritual healing. It's only those who admit that they are spiritually sick that can find forgiveness. Now, so turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 through 32. Luke 5, 12 through 32. And you'll find at the end of these verses in verse 31 and 32, and Jesus says this. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, the, the hidden truth of those words that, that Jesus speaks is that other than Jesus Christ, every other person who has ever lived is spiritually sick. We are all sinners. There are no healthy. We are all sick. But Jesus came for those who knew they need a doctor. Jesus came for those who knew themselves to be sinners and admit they need a savior. So the, the main idea from these verses today is that Jesus is the only one who can cleanse you from the stain of sin. Jesus is the only one that can cleanse you from the stain of sin. 
And so as we kind of examine that main idea, like I did a couple of weeks ago, what I want to do is, is simply kind of go through these verses and, and help you understand them better. And after that, share a couple of things that we learn from these verses. So uh, the things that I think we learn are one, uh, just like the main idea, Jesus is the only one who can make you clean. And two, faith is the right response to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can make you clean and faith is the right response to Jesus. So as we kind of go through those stories before we go and recap these things, just be listening for those two ideas and how often we see these truths at play. Uh, so first we're gonna look at Luke 5 verses 12 through 16 as Jesus heals a man with leprosy. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and pray. And so we see Jesus comes, and, and he meets a man who has leprosy. Uh, leprosy is, is simply a word describing a disease of the skin. I think in, in modern times, it, it refers to an actual specific skin disease, but in the time of Jesus, in the time of the Old Testament, it didn't refer to a specific skin disease. It, it, it was a, a word that would cover a whole range of skin diseases. And what is important to know about leprosy is that in the Old Testament law, when a person got this skin disease, when a person had a skin disease, a priest was to declare that person unclean. We just kind of read something and, and taught about cleanliness laws just a minute ago. And so what did it mean for a person to be unclean? Well, you don't need to turn there, but in Leviticus chapter 13, which actually deals with skin diseases, we read this in verses 45 and 46. The person who has a case of serious skin disease, leprosy in other words, is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. Uh, so the, the law said that a person with a serious skin disease, with leprosy, had to dress in a way to, to show that he was unclean. He had to even call out that he was unclean so others would not get close and come into contact with him. And then he actually had to live alone outside of the main community of Israel. Uh, something a little bit like a COVID quarantine, if you have COVID, except instead of getting to, to stay in your house for a couple weeks, uh, you had to go live in a tent in the middle of a desert, and you had no promise that it was going to be over in two or three weeks. It was a difficult life if you had leprosy. And then the only way you could be made clean is if the disease went away and you went and represented yourself to the priest and had a number of sacrifices made on your behalf to be declared clean. So, so one of the reasons for these laws is that leprosy or, or certain forms of leprosy, certain skin diseases can be very contagious. So if a, a person with leprosy was in close contact with others, if you, know, you had skin-to-skin -skin contact, uh, the disease might spread throughout the camp or throughout the community. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why, as, as uh, Juliet just read for us, that uh, those who were unclean were not to be touched by another. If someone else touched them, they were declared unclean for a period of, of time. Uh, basically, are you going to get sick during this time? So 
of these laws were, were meant for the good of the community, but there was more to it than that. These weren't just health laws. These laws were also meant to teach something about both God and man. These laws showed that, that purity and cleanliness are required to enter God's presence and even to be among the people of God, to be in the camp. So, so though physical cleanliness was important and physical cleanliness is important, these laws were really teaching people a deeper truth about their hearts. They needed clean hearts to enter God's presence. So we can, we can think of, of the Psalms when we read that it's only those who have clean hands and a pure heart who can enter God's presence. In, in Revelation, the Apostle John writes this concerning the new city of Jerusalem where God will dwell with man, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We need to be cleansed from our sin to enter God's presence. And so these, these cleanliness laws were a picture of that, that the person who was declared unclean could not come to the temple for worship. And really, this idea even gets picked up in the church today. Right, So if, if you were to go, we're not going to really go there now, but if you were to go for 1 Corinthians and read about church discipline or excommunication, the Apostle Paul says that a little sin can leaven the whole lump. In other words, that sin can be contagious. And so what is the church to do with someone who lives in unrepentant sin? Uh, well, the church is called to cast that person out, to excommunicate them so the rest of the church is not infected. Again, these, these laws are pointing us forward to these truths that cleanliness is needed to be in the presence of God. And so this, this unclean man with leprosy comes to Jesus, which is surprising. I mean, he should be quarantining, and yet here he is. He's, he's approaching Jesus, and he bows down before Jesus and begs Jesus to make him clean. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And in this, this request and in his, his begging of Jesus, this man shows great faith. Uh, one, he, he understands and acknowledges and seems willing to accept that his healing is subject to the will of God. Jesus may or not, may not be willing to make him clean. Friends, I think that is a good thing for us to remember in our own times of sickness or disease. And though we may not understand it, God may receive more glory through our sickness than through our healing. You know, we spent three years praying for my aunt to be healed before she passed away, but God, in his sovereign plan, decided not to heal her. God showed the Apostle Paul that his power was made perfect in weakness by not taking away the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh. There's no promise of physical healing in this life, that is only a promise for the life to come. Jesus certainly can heal. So praying something like, if you will, God, if it is your will, please heal me, is a wonderful prayer to pray. It's reminding yourself, even in the midst of, of you pleading on behalf of yourself or someone else, that God is sovereign. He is in control, that his ways are above your ways, that his thoughts are above your thoughts, and that you may not understand his plan. Well, the, the leprous man also shows great faith in that he believes that Jesus can heal him. Uh, so he seems willing to submit to Jesus' will, to God's will, but he also has great faith that Jesus can heal him. 
He recognized that he did not need all of the rituals of the law, all of these sacrifices. He only needed Jesus to be made clean. And so he comes, he bows down, and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Well, so now it's, it's Jesus' turn to do something amazing. He reaches out and, and he touches the man. He reaches out and touches the man, places his hand on him in compassion, and tells him that he is willing and that he will make him clean. And this is, and this is exactly what he does. The man is healed. His healing is, is immediate. So I presume to mean if you could see his skin disease, which you can basically see any disease of the skin, it disappeared immediately, uh, which emphasized the power of Jesus' words. You know, this man didn't have to go rub ointment on himself for two weeks, and then it finally went away. Uh, Jesus spoke, and the disease vanished. And we remember the, the verses from Leviticus 5 that, that Juliet just read. The law stated that if anyone was to touch someone who was unclean, they were to be made unclean. And yet, when this man comes to Jesus, Jesus reaches out, touches him, and Jesus is not made unclean, but instead, this man with leprosy was made clean. It points us to the fact that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He had authority over that law. It was him for, to who that law pointed to. These cleanliness laws, these ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, they pointed to who Jesus was. He was showing that it is him, it is Jesus who could truly make clean. It wasn't the sacrifices of the priest, but it was Jesus, our high priest, who made a once-for-all sacrifice. Now, these laws pointed to Jesus' work of redemption. By his death, Jesus cleanses and he purifies sinners. He washes them with his blood we see this language throughout the New Testament. We could go read verse after verse. We're going to read a few verses later in the sermon that, that teach this. A baptism itself is a picture of our cleansing from sin. Jesus has cleansed us by his blood. Baptism doesn't save. And yet in baptism, we have a picture of being washed in water, of being cleansed from our sin. It's the picture that we see in baptism. Although Jesus is the one who could make this man clean and did make him this man clean, we see Jesus still sends the man to the priest to show himself, to make the required sacrifice that the law required. He wants him to be obedient to the law. And Jesus also commands the man to be silent. Uh, we learn from the, the account of this same, this same event in Mark's gospel that the man does not remain silent. And so the, well, as you can imagine, I think I probably wouldn't remain silent if my skin disease had disappeared immediately. Uh, he's excited, uh, but he, he starts telling everyone about Jesus. And so we see the news about Jesus spreads, spreads far and wide. Large crowds begin to gather around Jesus. And Jesus ends up withdrawing to deserted places to, to escape from the crowds, to be able to pray and fellowship with his heavenly father. And these large crowds that begin gathering help kind of set the stage for what comes next in Luke's gospel. Uh, so we're going to turn our attention to Jesus' healing of the paralyzed man. So look with me at verse 17 in Luke 5. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof 
and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees begin to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. So by, by this point, the, the news about Jesus had spread so far and wide that we see Pharisees and teachers, the religious leaders of the day, coming not just from Galilee, which is the region that Jesus was in at, at this point in time, but also from Judea and Jerusalem, which are, are pretty far south uh, of where Jesus is. Uh, but they are coming a long distance to hear and to see Jesus. And so Jesus is sitting there. He's teaching the crowds. He's teaching those religious leaders who have come. And here comes a group of men carrying on a stretcher their paralyzed friend. So a, a man who was unable to walk is being carried by his friends to see Jesus um, that he might be healed. But there is a problem. Jesus' fame is so great. Perhaps the house he was in was so small that it was so crowded uh, that they couldn't even get in the door. I mean, the crowds are, are pressed in. That house is full. Uh, they weren't in COVID season, so people didn't have to be like a meter and a half apart. Uh, so they were not able to get in the door. And so what do they do? Well, they don't give up, but instead they, they take their friend, they take this stretcher up to the roof, and they dig through the roof and lower their friend down to see Jesus. Uh, so like most of the homes here in the UAE, homes in that time had flat roofs. They had stairs going up to that roof that you could, you could go up there. The roofs were often made of, of thatch and mud. Luke says tile here. So it would have been quite possible for these men to, to get up on the roof, be able to make a hole in the roof. It certainly would have caused the scene, uh, but they could make a hole in the roof and lower their friend down to see Jesus. Uh, so, I mean, when we just consider the efforts that these men, to get, uh, these men took to get their paralyzed friend to, to see Jesus, I think we should just stop for a moment and marvel, to marvel at these men who were so desperate to get to Jesus. I mean, I pray that I would be marked and that each and every one of you would be marked by that same desire to draw near to your Savior. I mean, it can be easy sometimes just to lose the battle to get up in the morning and to open up your Bibles and spend some time in God's Word and prayer. And yet these men are willing to dig through a roof just to lower their friend down to see Jesus. Well, as as I mentioned, this, this had to make quite a mess. I mean, you're not going to ignore people digging through the roof above you. So these, these men are, are making quite a scene. And so all eyes have to be on this man who is, who is really being lowered down to Jesus' feet right in front of everybody who is there. Uh, the crowd has to be waiting, like asking themselves, all right, what is Jesus going to do? Here's this man that we may have seen heal others. We have certainly heard him teach. We have certainly heard of the miracles he is doing. Uh, what is he going to do? Well, I'm, I'm sure they were all expecting Jesus to heal this person. But instead, Jesus, seeing their faith, says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. 
friend, your sins are forgiven. Uh, so like the, the plot of a, a good book or your, your favorite movie, this is the twist in the story. It's the twist in the story that is intended to draw your attention. Jesus' announcement of forgiveness is surprising. When everyone was waiting to see if he would heal, Jesus offers forgiveness instead. And in doing so, Jesus reveals a central truth. And that truth is the paralytic man had a much deeper and a much more basic need than to be healed from his paralysis. His need was far greater than to be able to walk again. He needed healing and cleansing from the sin that resided in his heart. That's what Jesus is saying, that this man needed something far greater than he needed to be able to walk again. He needed to be forgiven. Friends, this is your greatest need as well. Your greatest need is the same need of the paralytic. We have all sinned, and our sins have created a separation between us and God. It is what the Bible teaches, a separation that can only be closed by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior who came to earth, and died in your place, who spilled his blood that you might be washed and made clean, that you might be forgiven. Well, placing their faith in Jesus is, is exactly what these men did. It is when Jesus sees the faith of these men who went to such great lengths to get to Jesus that Jesus looks and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Their faith seemed to be a, a desperate faith, a, a resolute or steadfast, a firm faith in Jesus. They had faith that it was only Jesus who could heal. It was, it was Jesus alone that could heal. And they were convinced. And so their faith and, and the fact that they were convinced was shown by these desperate measures they took to get to Jesus. Uh, if, you remind, if we remember back to James from several months ago now, their faith was on display in their actions. Their works displayed the faith that was in their hearts. Well, not everybody, not everybody that was there was, was happy with Jesus' offer of forgiveness. The religious leaders, those who had come from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem all this way to see Jesus, they had heard the news about Jesus. Well, they were not really happy with Jesus for offering forgiveness. They accused Jesus of blasphemy, which is just another way of saying that Jesus was saying something false about God. In this case, they realized that Jesus was really making a claim that was God's alone to make. Jesus was claiming to be God. He is comparing himself to God. It is only God who can forgive sin. So I think the religious leaders who were there, they were right to recognize that only God can forgive. What they were wrong about is that they failed to see that Jesus is God. They failed to see that Jesus is the Messiah. And so in these, these two reactions, the, the faith of, of the, the paralytic and his friends and, and the doubt of the scribes and Pharisees on the other, we're supposed to see a great contrast. The friends respond in faith to Jesus. Paralytic is granted forgiveness. The scribes did the opposite. And their, their spiritual blindness, their, their opposition to Jesus is made even more obvious by the fact that Jesus makes it clear exactly who he is, just as he is standing there in their midst. Now look again with me at verse 22. 
as the, the scribes are thinking, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? They're not saying this out loud because verse 22 says, but perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? And Jesus knew the thoughts of their hearts. It's God alone who can forgive sins, but it is also God alone who can know your thoughts. And Jesus doesn't just perceive their thoughts. Jesus, is, Jesus also challenges them with that, that question, why are you thinking this in your hearts? In other words, you have heard my teaching. You have seen and heard the signs and wonders that I have performed. You have plenty of evidence of my power and authority. You have plenty of evidence of who I am. Why do you still doubt? And Jesus follows that with another question. Look at verse 23. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And now we might be tempted to say it's, it's harder to forgive sins, right? Only God can do that. Uh, we have doctors, we have medicine, there's things that, that people can heal others from. Uh, we haven't figured out how to heal paralysis yet, even these 2,000 years later, but uh, we have found cures for other diseases. But I do not think that is what Jesus is trying to say here. The point Jesus is making is that it is easier to say. It is easier to say your sins are forgiven than it is to say, get up and walk. And that is because only one of those two claims can be proven. And I could walk up to each and every one of you after the service today and say, friends, your sins are forgiven. And nobody's really going to be able to see whether that's true. I hope you would doubt. I cannot forgive you by my words. Uh, that only comes through repentance and faith. But on the other hand, everybody who was there could see whether this man was going to get up. They could not see whether his sins were forgiven, but they could see whether he got up. And that leads us to the climax of the story where we find the main point of the story. Does Jesus have the power and authority to heal the paralyzed man simply by his word? Does he have this power and authority? Because if this man gets up and walks out, if that's what happens, there is no reason to doubt that Jesus has the power and authority to forgive sins as well. If the man gets up and walks out, there is no reason to doubt that Jesus is worthy of your faith and trust. There is no reason to doubt that Jesus was worthy of the faith and trust of those gathered there. And we see in verse 24, this is what Jesus says. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And this is just what happens. The man gets up, takes up the mat that he was lying on, and he goes home glorifying God. He was healed. And we see in, in Jesus' response in his statement there in, in 20, verse 24, we see the reason that he performed this miracle and the reason, really, he performed all of his miracles on earth. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And Jesus' miracles were a demonstration of his power. They were a demonstration of his authority. They were a demonstration of his identity. They were an announcement that the kingdom of God had come near in Jesus Christ. And the effects of sin were being reversed. And it was also an invitation for those present 
And it's an invitation for you today to put your faith in that which is not seen and for them to put their faith in that which was not seen, that Jesus was not just a man, but that he is God himself. He is the Messiah. This miracle that Jesus performed was an announcement that forgiveness could only be found in Jesus Christ. This really is the the same message that Jesus was giving in his healing of the leper as he makes the leper clean. He alone has the power to make clean. He alone has the power to forgive. And that takes us to to the last story in our text for today, which is the, the call of Levi. So look with me at verse 27 of Luke 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Levi is the same person as Matthew, one of the the 12 apostles, the author of the gospel of Matthew. It was was not terribly unusual for for Jews at that time to have two names, a, a Hebrew name and a Greek name. So it's quite possible that this man was known as Levi Matthew. And we see that Levi was a tax collector. Now, you should know that, that tax collectors at that time were hated. They were, were Jews who had chosen to work for the, the hated and the despised Roman occupiers. They were known for, for cheating people. They were known for demanding more money be given, more money than people actually owed so they could give what was owed to the Romans and then pocket the rest, keep the rest for themselves. And so the Jewish people, they hated tax collectors. So... It has certainly been surprising that Jesus would call a tax collector to follow him. But he does. And Levi responds the exact same way that we see Simon Peter, James, and John responded a couple of weeks ago when, we, when they were out fishing and, and Jesus gives them this great catch of fish. And his response is to leave everything and follow Jesus. Now, for for Levi, this would have meant giving up the good job of a tax collector. It was a a good job. You made good money. Sometimes you made good money by cheating people. He would have also given up the favor of the ruling Romans. Now, because of his position, because he was working for the Romans, it's likely that the authorities would have given him favor. He would have been treated well. He would have been offered protection. Uh, And yet, to follow Jesus, he would have been losing that as well. And so when Jesus called Peter, when he called Peter a couple of weeks ago, and when Jesus calls Levi, Luke has made clear that faith is a willingness to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Money, respect, relationships, social position, protection, dreams, family, fill in the blank. Friends, I'll just ask you the same question that I asked a couple of weeks ago. Do you have the same willingness? Do you have the willingness to leave everything to follow Jesus? Well, well, after giving up everything, after leaving his job as a tax collector and and following Jesus, we see 
in, in verse 29 that Levi hosts a, a large feast or a, a banquet for other tax collectors and, and sinners. I think he does this. We don't know exactly why he does this, but I think he does this that others might come to know Jesus. He saw others who were in need of Jesus. He decides to host a great feast so others might come and meet Jesus as well. It seems that he uses whatever wealth that he has left, or at least some of the wealth that, that he had acquired, so others might know Jesus. I mean, what a wonderful picture of what we're to do with what God has given us, whether it's money and time, talents, whatever it is, use it for God's glory and for the sake of the gospel. That's what we see Levi, Levi doing here. He had, he had left everything. Evidently, that didn't mean his bank account instantly went to zero this time. Um, and, but he used that well to host a large feast that others might know Jesus. Well, like we saw in the, the healing of the paralytic, the religious leaders are once again opposed to Jesus. They are once again not so happy with what Jesus is, is doing here. Uh, they ask why he would eat with the despised tax collector and those who were known to be sinners. So when we say known to be sinners, these are people who would have had like a really bad reputation in the community, like a perhaps a prostitute or something else that they would have just known to be sinful. And so the, the religious leaders are, are once again asking Jesus, why would you eat with these people? Why would you eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, if you are from God, if you're claiming to be a teacher of God's law, you are, you are claiming to speak for God. Why are you eating with them? We are the righteous ones. We are the Pharisees. We are the scribes. We are the ones that are fa should be favored by God. Why aren't you eating with us? Why are you eating with them instead? And Jesus tells them exactly why in his response. And it is in his response, it is in Jesus' response that we find the main point of this story. Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I think it's interesting that that Jesus uses the illustration of a doctor here in, in this story. Of the, the three true stories that we've looked at, the, the leper, the paralytic, the calling of Levi. Like Levi is the only one who is actually not physically sick, right? The leper has a skin disease, the paralytic can't walk. A Levi seems perfectly fine, and yet Jesus uses the illustration of a doctor here. And so I think Jesus is doing that because he is making clear that he is talking about a deeper spiritual truth. And nobody's going to confuse and think that Levi act actually needs a medical doctor. Levi is not sick. And so it makes it clear that Jesus is speaking of a deeper spiritual truth. He is making a comparison between sickness and sin. He's making a comparison between sickness and sin. So in Jesus' example and his illustration here, those who are sick are those who know they are sinners. We're all sinners, but the sick here are those who know themselves to be sinners. To, to go back to the opening illustration, they are those who will visit the doctor, who know that they need a doctor. Because they know that they are sinners, they know that they need a savior, they know that they need help. These people who are sinners and tax collectors, they understood that they needed forgiveness. They were hated, they were despised, they knew that they did much wrong, they knew they needed a savior. So like the leper and the paralytic, like Levi himself, these people who are at the banquet are desperate for Jesus. They know they need him. Oh, the righteous, on the other hand, the, the righteous is, in Jesus' example, 
are those who do not go get their regular cancer screenings, who do not go get their checkups because they do not think that anything could possibly be wrong with them. Ah, I feel great, strong as an ox. That may be an expression you don't know. It's one we use in my country. I'm very strong, I feel good. And so when Jesus says they are righteous, what he means is that they are self-righteous. They do not see themselves as sinners. They do not see their need for a savior because they think that they are good enough on their own. That they have followed God's law well enough that the good that they have done is going to outweigh the bad. God is certainly going to favor them because, look, I'm not like these people over here. Uh, they think that they are well. They don't think they need a doctor. This attitude was true of the Pharisees and the scribes, but it's true of many people today as well. I turn with me over to Luke chapter 18 for a second. Luke chapter 18, just a little bit right in your Bible. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. And I want to read a parable that Jesus tells about a Pharisee and a tax collector, which makes this point abundantly clear. So starting in verse 9, he, he, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Sounds a lot like the people in our account of Levi, those who thought that they were righteous. And look down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee in this parable, the Pharisees in the account of, of Levi, were self-righteous. They did not think that they needed a doctor. And the tax collector in the parable, on the other hand, knew he needed a doctor. He knew he was a sinner, and he cried out to Jesus. He knew all that would save him was the mercy of God. And which one was forgiven? It was the tax collector that cried out for God's mercy. Friends, Jesus came to save those who know they're sick and are willing to trust in him. And so what I want you to see then is, is all three of these, these true stories that we have read today are pointing to the same truth. When Jesus healed the leper and when he healed the paralytic man, he was pointing to deeper truths that he could forgive and he could cleanse from sin. He was pointing to the deeper physical sickness of the heart. And so in the same way he healed the leper and the paralytic, he heals Levi. Jesus calls him to give up his sin and give up everything and follow him. Levi knew he needed a doctor. He knew he needed a savior. And so he responded with repentance and faith. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, in the, the last couple of minutes that we have here in the sermon, I just want to, to recap the two lessons that we have seen from these stories. First is that Jesus is the only one who can make you clean. Jesus is the only one who can make you clean. Jesus healed the leper and declared him clean even before the leper had gone and done what the law demanded that he do to be pronounced clean. And Jesus heals him, and Jesus makes him clean. Jesus declared the paralytic sins forgiven, and then to prove that he had the power to forgive, he healed him. And Jesus cleansed, forgave, and called Levi a despised tax collector. 
And so each story teaches the same thing. It is only Jesus who can make you clean. It is only Jesus who can forgive. Friends, as as we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, the, the teaching of the Bible is that all are sinners. All are unclean. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, people may not admit this, but I think people understand this deep down. People in our world try to rid themselves of the stain uh, and guilt of sin in all sorts of ways. They pretend it, it does not exist. So they say guilt may be just something that society kind of imposes on us. People call things wrong and try to make us feel guilty uh, over it. So some who believe this simply think that they can get rid of guilt. They can get rid of that by simply calling evil good. So it is fine for men to marry men. It's fine for women to marry women. Maybe if we just say that that's fine, we won't be guilty anymore and we won't feel guilty anymore. Another approach for people to try to distract themselves from the guilt of sin is to distract themselves with pleasure. Uh, Watch a ton of movies so they don't think have to think about the sin of their lives. Pursue sexual pleasure outside of marriage. Try to get rich all in an effort to try to produce a happiness with the things of this earth and to forget the guilt that has separated them from their creator, God. Some simply try to do as much good as possible and hope that their good will one day outweigh their bad. Certainly, if I do enough good, God is certainly going to let me into heaven is their attitude. I don't really need to worry about the wrong things that I do because I really try to make up for them over here. Some, like the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, simply try to compare themselves to others. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know I do some wrong things, but like, have you seen all these sinners and tax collectors over here? They do way more wrong than I do. Some go weekly to confession, hoping that confessing sins to a priest will relieve them of the burden of sin. But friends, none of those things can make you clean. None of those things offer forgiveness. It is only Jesus It is only Jesus who can make one clean. We see this throughout the Bible. Hebrews 1, 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, in Revelation, John sees a vision of a multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation. And this, this multitude is gathered in the heavenly throne room in white robes. And John is told that this multitude are those who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They're the saints that will be with Jesus forever because they have been made clean by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is the one who makes you clean. So if you want to be free of your guilt and shame, if you want to be free of your sin, the only answer is to run to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can clean you from the stain of sin. Maybe you're here and and you're a Christian and you're struggling with guilt over past sin. And perhaps you're struggling with guilt over a sin that you're really struggling with right now. Friends, what do you need to do? It's, It's preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that in Christ your sins have been forgiven that in Christ that you have the power to fight sin, that you have been set apart as holy to God. You have been made clean. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have been washed and made clean. Jesus was a once-for-all sacrifice. You have been forgiven. 
So run to Jesus, confess, boldly approach the throne of grace in the confidence that you will find mercy and forgiveness because Christ took your guilt and shame on himself. Jesus made you clean. That's the first thing we see from these stories, that Jesus is the only one who can make you clean. The second, it's the right response to Jesus is faith. The right response to Jesus is faith. The leper comes and falls down at Jesus' feet, though he is supposed to be quarantining. Uh, he has faith that Jesus can heal. Uh, the paralytic and his friends, uh, they, the friends haul the paralytic up and dig through a roof just to get to Jesus. The paralytic himself goes out praising God. They have faith. Levi gives up everything to follow Jesus. He has faith. Again, the point is clear. The right response to Jesus is faith. Well, friends, what does it look like to respond to Jesus in faith? What does that look like? What does it mean? Well, faith is to admit, I need a doctor. But it is more than that. It is to admit that I need a doctor, but it's also to admit that Jesus is the only doctor that I need. In other words, I need a savior. I need to be forgiven. I need to be made clean. And Jesus is the only one who can make me clean. He is the savior. Friends, faith is to confess your sins to God, ask for his forgiveness, and to give up everything and follow him. Jesus does not promise the road will be smooth. Following Jesus is hard. Trials are sure to come. It requires sacrifice, but it is worth it because Jesus makes you clean, and the reward of following him is eternal life in his presence forever. So friends, let me ask you, especially if you're here today and know yourself not to be a Christian, do you see your need for a doctor? Do you see your need for forgiveness? Brothers and sisters, those of you who are here and, and know yourselves to be Christians, if you are in the middle of a trial and if, if you are struggling to persevere, and if you're struggling to remain faithful in the Lord, remember the gospel. Thank God that he has made you clean. He did what you could not do. Thank God that he has forgiven you. Look forward to the life to come. Remind yourself that following Jesus is worth giving everything up. He is the glorious Savior who has made you clean. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do come and, and praise you that in Christ you have done what we could not do. We have been forgiven. We have been washed. We have been made clean. And, Father, we could not rid ourselves of the stain of sin on our own. And yet that is why we come week after week offering praises to our Savior, Jesus Christ. 